The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. All things come into being through you and for you and are held together by you. So I just acknowledge that there are a lot of stories and faces and heartache and joys that come into this space today and that you are actually quite capable of holding all that we cannot and holding us as we try to hold all that you're asking us to and and again, all that we cannot hold. So I just ask for a palpable sense of your presence with us today, that we might encounter you in ways like we most need to encounter you in a tangible way, because we do confess you are indeed with us, and you do love us and care deeply about all of our wild particularity. So we bless you, we praise you, we thank you, we honor you. In your name, Jesus. So again, I'm Rachel. Um, It's really good to be with you. I have the profound privilege of being a part of the Allender Center at the Seattle School, which is um, a nonprofit. We work with trauma and stories and the gospel. And we have like healing opportunities for people that want to come do work around traumatic experiences they've had, whether that's from disaster or war or family of origin or things that happen in life. We also do a lot of training for leaders and pastors and counselors and folks who are constantly working with people. Because it turns out, even if you would say, I don't have any like big T traumas, um, one, I'd be like, okay, that's kind of cute. Because um, <laughs> I know what you've lived through this past year. Um, we had the privilege to come be with your pastors and staff a year ago to offer some support and care as they were pouring out to to your community to kind of come and say, well, we have some resources to give you as you're pouring out. But if even if you could say, I don't really have like big T traumas, maybe like some heartache, it's like, okay, well, that's a place we can start. So again, I just want to welcome you into this space, whatever you're even feeling as I start to use words like trauma, Um, I want to talk to you today about comfort. Um, We are wired for comfort in our very biological, like, makeup. Now, don't get me wrong, we're wired for resilience, for sure. Um, We are wired to be resilient people. You have a limbic system that enables you to overcome great odds by giving you all the biochemicals you need in a moment. You know, it's like what we see when disaster strikes and people rise to occasions you really don't have imagination of being able to rise to. Part of that comes from abundant gifts from God that we need that we don't have. And part of that comes from the gift of our bodies that we've been given. So I do believe we are wired to be resilient people who survive great odds. But I also think that we are people wired for comfort. And we also need comfort 
to be resilient because in our resolve to be resilient without comfort, resiliency actually starts to um, kind of reverse and turn on us and actually become something that starts to break down our bodies, our relationships, community, and our capacity to really like play fully in the kingdom of God in ways that we're meant. Um, something I should probably tell you is that although I've lived in Seattle for 12 years and I, am a, I love being a Pacific Northwesterner, first and foremost, I am a proud Okie. So anytime I am on Texas soil, I'm like, all right, let's get out the jokes, whatever you got. I've got two uncles in my big Italian family who are Texans and our Thanksgiving dinners are always exciting, especially right after college football rivalries. Um, depending on whoever is like the top dog gets to talk the most smack, and it's fine. Um, I'm laughing because today I'm wearing cowboy boots, which I don't normally wear, um, but I do come from a resilient people who have like, are really proud in our capacity to be like, we survived the Dust Bowl, we came to Oklahoma and covered wagons, you know, we um, live in Tornado Alley, like things get destroyed, many times a year by hail and flash floods and things, but like, we're survivors. And again, there's something really good about that. Three years ago, I got these boots at a little store in the stockyards in downtown Oklahoma City. I was for sure, like, not supposed to be there. And all of the women who actually, like, need boots to do their life, like barrel racing and farming and ranching, were looking at me like, you coming in here with your Converse to like buy boots as a fashion statement, like that's great. Um, and I loved these boots. And I will tell you, when I got them, I was in a season um, that was really hard in my life. Um, I was recovering from an assault and there was a resolve in me that was like, I will not be taken down by this. Like, I am not gonna let this experience take me out. I've come too far, I've survived too much, I'm not going out. So I got these boots as a little bit of like a homage to my upbringing to be like, you know what? I am gonna put my boots on and I'm gonna survive. Now I wore them like every day. My friends were starting to get concerned. Like, is there like something about these boots that we need to know about? Cause it's kind of feeling like, you know, when three-year-olds wear like something every day, it's like starting to feel a little bit like that. Like, do you want to talk about anything? No, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm fine. Wore them every day for four months. Started having pain in my foot. Turns around, like these are, don't have the best support. <laughs> I was like walking around Boston on work trips for like miles and miles and miles in these shoes. Fractured a little foot in my, a little bone in my foot, like a little sesamoid bone. You have a little bone in your, under your big toe joint and I fractured mine. I got a medical boot. I got to start wearing a medical boot. So I said, fine, I'm gonna wear a medical boot and a cowboy boot. I actually visited Ecclesia in the middle of that season wearing a medical boot and a cowboy boot. Some of you may have experienced that. It was a special time. Um, I, my fracture didn't heal. I had to ride around on a knee scooter. Um, which was fine. It was like, whatever came, I just was like, fine. I will do what I have to do. So resistant to any kind of comfort. 
because it just was like, you know, my doctor said, do you want a shot in your bone, like in your bone? Like we can give you a cortisone shot and that would like probably help some of the pain. No, I need to feel the pain because I need to know if I'm walking on it wrong. Okay, you're supposed to be on your knee scooter, but that's fine. Um, had to get surgery, had a, a huge incision on the bottom of my foot. My mom did come for a week, which was amazing. Um, I had to have my foot elevated above my heart for four weeks as much as I could because the swelling was so severe. So I had to like lay in a bed with my leg propped up. I live alone. I'm, I am a single woman. I live alone. Um, I was out of my mind on pain meds, depressed. I don't cook. I did, my friends did set up like a meal train. But I was like, you know, my friends know me to be someone who's pretty capable, who can hold heavy things. So I wasn't too interested in letting any of them know how bad I really was, how much help I needed. I was so committed to not getting help that every day when I had to go back to work after the first week that I still have to have my foot elevated above my heart, I took my knee scooter to my car, because it's my left foot, got to the car, stood on one foot, folded the knee scooter up, shoved it in the car, hopped to the front seat, sat down, drove myself to work, got out, did it again, every day, multiple times a day. I will tell you, I was really mean in this season. Like, I'm flipping people off in the grocery store. If they laugh at me, I'm, I'm sorry, Jesus, I take it back. Um, you know, I just was so beyond my margins. I was so agitated and I was so angry. I do not want to have to ask for help in this moment. Like, if it's not obvious I need help, then why would I bother asking for help? What in the heck kind of help is going to come? It got so bad that I started watching marathons of escaping polygamy on A&E to be like, well, this could be your story. You could have had to escape polygamy. <laughs> and I'm not even lying. This is a, a truth. And I will tell you in one of these moments, I heard Jesus very clearly say to me, are you telling me you are so committed to your terror of comfort and needing comfort that you're going to exploit other people's suffering so that you can like prop yourself up and feel better about your life? It was a hard moment because I can certainly laugh about what I was doing and I work in a therapeutic realm so I understand why that's where I went. But I think we do that a lot. Well, yeah, I need some care and comfort, I need some help, but you know what? That person, they are really suffering. And so I'm, I'm gonna like withhold my need for comfort and care because at least it's not that bad. And like they really need resources. And there's a difference between compassion and pity. And what I was doing was very much in the realm of pity. I was so committed to not receiving comfort and care that for six months after my surgery, I had to go to physical therapy for six months. I refused to ask a single friend to ever come help me, <laughs> to like come be with me. Um, I had to go back to therapy like because of this experience because I was so terrified that I had reached a level of not being able to provide myself what I needed. It was so terrible. I mean, I have survived a lot of terrifying things. I actually work with people in the midst of stories of horror and I was so terrified 
that I had reached a limitation that I couldn't provide for myself, that it was like I actually had to go talk to a therapist about it because I was so mad. I was like, I can't, there can't be something that I can't provide for myself. Like, the, I didn't have imagination that there could be comfort. And I think that's the hard thing about comfort, is it does feel like even if you got some, it would never be enough for what you actually need. And it feels like there's so much scarcity. Like, how do we offer comfort to each other when we're all in a season that feels like we all need comfort and there's so little resource? And so I know for you, even as a, like a greater Houston community, you've been in the midst of a year where it's felt like comfort is a luxury we can't afford. We can't afford it. And if we're honest, I will at least be honest for myself. I felt like, God, where were you when I was assaulted? You want, you want to comfort me now? that I have like a weird foot injury for a tiny little bone in my foot. You think I can't handle that? Okay. Like I was so angry because I felt so forsaken. It just felt like, oh, you want me to be comforted by you when I feel like you, uh, the whole reason I'm here in the first place is because I didn't know where you were. In this moment, I needed you most. And I think if we're really honest, there are parts of our hearts that have known the kind of loss and heartache and forsakenness where even if something in us can go, I know I believe the promises of God. I know God is faithful. I know God is present. I do believe someday all things will be like good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. But what about right now? And I don't know if we have much imagination that we actually have a God who says, I really do want to be with you, even in the forsaken places. Even as I'm, I'm at work bringing about restoration, and you may not be able to see that for a long season, I want to be with you. And when we look at our ancestors who've come before us, the family of God, that we get to learn from, they found themselves in very similar places many, many, many times. So today I wanna, I wanna, I want us to look at Isaiah 49. Uh, this will find Israel in one of their many times of exile. Um, this particular time they are in exile in Babylon. And these are covenant people of God. God has made a kind of covenant that says, look, you know, we, we read this and we look at the story of Abraham. Like, you may not be able to be faithful to this covenant, but I want you to see, I'm gonna walk through a, a blood animal sacrifice that basically says, as I break this covenant, may the same thing happen to me. So, they're in Babylon, they're in exile, and here's what the eternal one, God, Yahweh, is saying to the people of God as they're like in exile. When the time was right, I answered you. On the day you were delivered, I was your help. I will watch over you and give you a, as a promise a binding covenant to the people 
Through you, my gift to the people, the land of promise will recover. Ancestral ground, once deserted, will be entrusted to them. Through you, my gift to the people, I will declare to the prisoners, come out, now you are free. To those who are held in darkness, come out into the light. They will find sustenance wherever they are, along the roads or in the open hills, with peace of mind and comfort and security. Wherever they are, they will be fine, never hungry, nor thirsty. They will be protected from oppressive heat and burning sun because the one who loves them as a mother loves her child will be their guide. God will lead them to restful places, rejuvenating springs of water. I will make their going easy, level the mountain road, and smooth the path that leads them home. Look, even now, they are coming from lands far away, some from the north, others from the west, these from the land of Sinem. Oh joy, be glad, sky, take joy, earth, burst into song, mountains, for the eternal move to compassion has comforted and consoled his people. Here's Zion's response. The eternal one has abandoned me. God has walked out the door. My Lord left me alone. He has forgotten all about me. I think they're really validated in their response. I think we're scared sometimes to name those places in our life where we could say the same thing. I feel like there's something that feels like you have forsaken us. And yeah, maybe we can borrow some weird sense of hope by like looking at how worse it could be. But at the end of the day, if I'm really honest, I don't know how to make sense of what's happening in my life. And I want you to hear God's response. Is it possible for a mother, however disappointed, however hurt, to forget her nursing child? Can she feel nothing for the baby she carried and birthed? Even if she could, I, God, will never forget you. Look, here, I have made you a part of me written you in the palms of my hands. Your city walls are always on my mind, always my concern. Now, what's important to hear in this text that we might have a hard time hearing, because at least I don't know, some of you might be fluent in ancient Hebrew, um, but the word for love in the Hebrew text here, you know, Hebrew is a language like other languages in our world that a word is almost telling a story. And that's not so much how our language tends to function. We have to use more words to like tell the story. But love in this particular text is like womb love. Like mother birthing, groaning, like connected, primal identity. I'll bear your life in my body and give you life and tend to you kind of love. That's the image of love we're being given. And God takes it one step further to say, and even if that love doesn't actually feel comforting enough to you because maybe you have known a mother who could forget you, I have written you in the palm of my hands. Now, to Israelites in ancient Babylon, they would have encountered Babylonians who would have carved with a knife 
or something sharp into the palm of their hands, the name of the God they served, to show their faithfulness, their kind of like commitment to that God. So God's taking a familiar kind of pagan ritual that would have symbolized like, I'm a de- I am devoted to you to the point that I have literally like bound myself to you by writing your name and God saying, I've literally written your name in the palm of my hands. I've carved your name in the palm of my hand. That's how devoted I am to you. I could never forget you. And this, like, mother love imagery, like, we have to grow our imagination, right? Because we still would kind of see that as like a distant thing. This is a way of God saying, I want to wrap you up like a mother would a child, and bring comfort. I'm contending. I am dismantling systems that have kept you bound and in exile. I will bring rescue, but in the midst of that, I will bring comfort. Again, there's almost something about it that could feel like mockery. And I think God understands that. But we are wired, like we're wired for oxytocin. Like there was a study done uh, to understand the power of oxytocin. Oxytocin is the biochemical that helps you bond and attach to another human being. When a mother gives birth, she is flooded with oxytocin. If you have a C-section, they give you oxytocin in an IV. I kind of wish we could all get IVs of oxytocin. I think we would be, I'm like, that could be comfort, God. We could just get some oxytocin from a bag. I'm kind of glad that God's like, maybe you could also try to reach out to some other human beings. (laughs) See, I'm Trixie like that. I'd be like, I can self-sustain in a cabin in the woods with no human contact. There was a study done for twins who were born premature They were in the neonatal care, ICU. One of the twins was flourishing. The other one was like starving and not thriving and they were starting to get really concerned. They had basically tried everything they could to try to, this is like what kind of led to, um, what's it called? Yes, skin to skin. Like when, when now when you, ha- when you give birth, they tend to want to put the baby like right on your chest because they have found, oh, that's actually like the most healing and like connecting thing. So this is how they discovered that this was what our bodies designed by God were made for. They thought, you know what? These babies were in utero together. Let's put them in the same little like bed. They put the healthy twin with the not flourishing twin and the healthy twin actually, like these are like weeks old babies, put its arm over its twin sibling, like a little hand, and you can look, I should have got the picture, I'm not good at PowerPoint because I get distracted and people are like, change the slide. (laughs) But you can actually look this up if you want to and see a picture. The unhealthy twin started to flourish. It started being able to metabolize food, it started to gain weight, and it survived. That's how we know that like skin to skin contact is actually doing something. So we have a God who is describing God's self as a mother, 
who could never forget her children. And I don't know about you, but like, I don't think that you parent in ways that are like, you have basic needs. Yeah, life is hard, good luck. When your child is hurting, is there not like a physical movement to want to like scoop them up, hold them close, offer a containment? I mean, do you know that every trauma remedy they have for the body is basically like, let's all regress to being young children and needing containment and care? Adult coloring books, weighted blankets that offer containment. Um, healthy attachment with another human being can actually rewire the human brain. So where we are so scared of comfort, and we have reasons, we have reasons. We've known so many places where there has been profound deprivation of the kind of comfort we've most needed. We've known seasons where there is scarcity, there's not equity. We don't actually quite know how to comfort each other because there's such need for comfort. We have a God who says, I really long to bring you comfort in the forsaken places. I had to like come to a place of being mad at my friends. I needed them to show up in ways they didn't show up. God has taught me many, through many places, invited me into a kind of care that I still have a really hard time imagining. One, because when it comes, the kind of lament <laughs> that it like ushers forth sometimes feels so overwhelming, I think, I, don't, I do actually feel like this is gonna take me under. And that's part of what I wanna give us imagination for, is like, do you understand lament, which can be protest, can be sorrow and grief? Do you understand lament as something that could actually bring comfort to you? Do you know that lament and joy and laughter occupy the same neurological pathway in your brain? That's bizarre, fascinating. But haven't you known that feeling of when someone has borne witness to your heartache in a way that invites you to be tender and receive tenderness, that relief in fact does come even if it doesn't change your circumstances? In the same way that deep belly laughter with friends around a meal can also bring a similar feeling of like lifting countenance even in the midst of tremendous heartache. So I just wanna invite us to maybe imagine that like God is fiercely tender. God, like our God is a lover. Like at the center of our gospel, we have one Jesus who has also said like my palms are wounded and intrinsically marked by my deep love of you. And Jesus is not limited by our human capacity. Sometimes we project like, I can only hold about three people. That's actually not true. I can hold a lot more. I'm a pastor. It's my pathology and my gift. Jesus can hold the whole world, all of it, and be intimately acquainted with you. So 
can you let even the agony of a mother god in the midst of your suffering contend with your anger and agitation and like inability to find soothing it requires so much faith because it does feel like what in the world is this going to change So as we come to a conclusion of this little moment, I do want to invite you, if it's at all possible, as I pray, to imagine, however you need to imagine, God, if this has actually happened to you in person, but to imagine what it would be like if God was actually taking your face like a small child, like you would a small child. Putting actual hands on your face to be able to say, what in the world, how can I help you in this moment? can I offer you? How can I pull you in? Offer containment, touch, comfort, care? How can I be fierce on your behalf? How can I contend on your behalf? Singing, oh, you know, that, that passage in Zephaniah, like, our God is a warrior who dances and sings over us with delight. Like, do you have imagination that God might be able to sing lullabies over you when you need them most? So as I pray, to the extent that you can, I actually do want you to imagine God like this tender and this close. So Jesus, Holy Spirit, good Father, good Mother, I'm asking you to minister to our hearts, bodies, and minds, to pour out all that you wish and I actually know you're really, really wise and really patient and really tender, so you're not going to give us more than we can tolerate. So even if all we could tolerate is to know that you're there, but we're not quite ready to ask or to look at you or even be able to bear your face towards us, I actually ask that you would give us the mercy and grace to like even acknowledge that. But would you pour out your ministry your lifting of countenance, your tenderness, your fierceness in our midst? Would you bring your truth? Would you contend with our stubbornness that really is cloaking like desperation? Would you be gentle and yet abundant in time? Would you give us imagination for your face toward us and your kindness, which is what leads to repentance? So we bless you. We praise you. We look for you. And to our best capacity, we fall into you. And we want to trust you more. And we want to hear more from you. So let your kingdom come, Jesus, here on earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come. So I pray for each and every person here as they go about their day that you would actually give them something of your presence in particularity. Where they're going, I don't believe this is true. Would you minister? Would you bear witness? Would you show up? Ask all these things in your name, Jesus. May it be so. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, 
please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.